0: Taking it to a uh,
2: do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Show, recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network, and podcast on the internet at bzde.org.au and 3CR.org.au and of course whatever podcasting app you choose to use. Don't forget also you can follow us on Twitter using the tag app VZE Tech Show, Show. My name's Michael Steidle, and I'm joined today by my co-host Kay Winnegall. Today we welcome back Glenn Morris, who has appeared on the Beyond Zero show a number of times to speak about solar technology and batteries. Glenn wears many hats, including Vice President of the Australian Solar Council and the Energy Storage Council, internationally sought-after renewable energy trainer and presenter, runs his own solar installation business called SolarQuip, and is a member of the Standards Australia EL42 Committee, which is responsible for developing the standards for design and installation of both on- and off-grid solar PV systems. Glenn has lived off-grid himself for the past twenty years. Currently at one of Australia's oldest intentional communities in the Yarra Ranges near Melbourne. Welcome, Glenn.
0: Thank you, Michael.
2: <laughs> um, Glenn, we know you've been on the show before, but uh, if you could just give a very brief part of the history of of your um, interest in solar energy, how you how you arrived where you are.
0: Well, um, I've often been an accidental traveler in various areas of my life, and one of them was uh, renewable energy. I, I started uh, getting interested in energy as a young uh, electronics nut, and I used to make little things and stick them out in the window, and I made a water detector that detected when it rained, it made horrible beepy noises. I remember waking my parents up in the middle of the night telling them it's raining. That's sort of where I got interested in electronics at about 13. Um, I, I moved into telecommunications and, and worked in that area in New Zealand for some time, then I had a sea change and decided I wanted to work with people and I became a teacher. So I, I, I moved into the teaching area. Um, but eventually uh, I moved to Australia uh, about 25 years ago and bought some property, which by chance uh, was off grid. And to tell you the truth, I hadn't given it much thought. I just thought it was a lovely house out in the bush and it wasn't until we started running this diesel generator I realised what a nightmare um, having a non-renewable energy source was. Mm. Uh, So that sort of brought me back to my uh, background in electronics, and I started making my own solar power systems and managing it, and it slowly grew into a business, and then I uh, discovered that people needed to be taught this stuff, so I started teaching it uh, at various tapes around Melbourne. Doing a very good job of it too. Yeah, thanks. And uh, now I run a, a training facility for the Energy Storage Council here in the Yarra Ranges, So we've got a, probably the best set up um, battery and solar um, training facility in Australia, thanks to many of the companies that have donated equipment to it.
2: Oh, good. So um, we're going to come to the battery standards, uh, new battery standards in a moment. But first, um, if you could just speak with your Australian Solar Council hat on. The AC recently ran the Solar 2016 conference and expo in Melbourne. Um, can you explain to the listeners about the event and how it relates to the Energy Storage Council Expo?
0: OK, so um, the Australian uh, Solar Council and the Energy Storage Council are, uh, in fact, the same entity. We ha- we have a common board, but we have sort of separate focuses within the organisation. Um, uh, the Australian Solar Council is 55 years old this year, so wow. we're actually one of the oldest solar organisations in the world. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, it was predominantly uh, academic focused, uh, you could say even 80s and early 90s, um, but with slowly more industry involvement started to come in with R&D and uh, in the 2000s we saw a big uptake in terms of uh, becoming uh, more about uh, uh, connecting with industry, promoting solar because the, the, the primary purpose of the Australian Solar Council is to promote the use and adoption of solar energy and energy efficiency. So what better way than to help grow the industry? The energy storage council kind of came along because really the two uh, are just like bread and butter they just go together um so well and um, we realized that storage was going to drive solar and it also drives the uptake of um, energy efficiency as well uh and so we we launched the energy storage council a few years ago our conference had previously always been you know primarily focused on solar and then last year we sort of had a small side event which was energy storage and within one year now, the main event is energy storage. Yeah. So I guess that's what that says is that the solar industry matured. We mm. actually know what we're doing. We don't have to kind of keep trying to um, uh, you know introduce n- n- new and amazing technology because we already do it very well. Australia is a world leader in R&D. You may, may have heard recently that we just uh, – Professor Martin Green from UNSW's uh, – come up with an even more amazingly efficient cell um, so once again That's around right, 43% aware.
2: or something with the multi-layer technology
0: Yes, yes, yes mm. so um, that's that's kind of like um, a very very strong base for our industry but what we need to do now is uh, focus on how do we make energy storage uh, mm. safe, affordable and reliable
2: yep. So I um, due to the New- Newcastle break free um, demonstration I missed the Display for the first time in about five years. We're very keen to hear what some of the standout technologies were on display.
0: Well, there was a a, a wide range of both energy storage products and enabling technologies. Um, the, the the kind of the the, the the magic combination of having generation from solar, uh, storage, you know, some form of battery, and then something that can manage that energy uh, makes. You know, particularly, say, domestic customers, autonomous energy users, they suddenly can sort of more or less start to decouple from um, the utilities' control over their energy use and therefore control price uh, as well. And so what we saw was a lot of um, enabling technologies. I mean, people might call them inverters, but they're actually more than just inverters. Uh, there's you know, um, devices out there that uh, are the smarts that look at appliance use in the home Can determine what should be turned on when. Can use um, uh, invisible batteries. For instance, most people who have electric hot water uh, would, apart from mainly Melbourne where there's a lot of gas, but would have electric hot water. They actually have a 15 kilowatt hour battery sitting in a in a tank in Mm -hmm. their home already, but they don't realise it. So devices that start to send power to storage units that you've already got like hot water service i mean that that was a pretty interesting one but the the big tick item really was um uh, a company that launched its global um offer in in terms of um, battery storage halving the price of lithium batteries in one sweep and so you know we've seen um solar panels come down very consistently over the last 20 or 30 years uh, uh to, to to amazingly low cost but batteries have always held a premium sort of price. But now we're seeing uh, an acceleration in the decrease of battery pricing. It was trending over the last five years at about 15% per annum reduction. But you know, to see a 50% drop on one day, mm. that wasn't bad.
1: In oh,
2: one day. Well, the release at yeah, the solar it thing, released, yeah. Really?
0: Mm. Oh, yes. Okay. And, and um, you know, I, I won't push brands or anything, but this is a, a global player, a $16 billion company, uh, who, who uh, recently thought they should get into energy storage. And so they're not just a fly by nighter.
2: Spectacular.
0: Glenn,
1: just a, a question for you with regard to the conference sessions that you held. They're always so popular. So I'm wondering what you presented this year. <laughs> um,
0: I guess sometimes I address different parts of an audience in my presentation. Mm-hmm. So at this conference, I kind of dumbed it down a bit, really. Um, I, I thought that we were often aiming at the, the high level, you know, um, explaining very complex technical stuff, but mm-hmm. I wanted to revisit some of the, the basics about battery safety. And so I talked a little bit about you know, um, understanding the risk factors associated with energy storage. Uh, and I tied that in with the Australian Battery Guide, which the Energy Storage Council re- released at the conference. Um, simple things like, you know, understanding, for instance, some chemistries will vent hydrogen and oxygen, like lead acid, you need to manage that um, uh, safely. Uh, there are very good standards for that. But there are other technologies, like the very popular lithium batteries at the moment, which we don't have Australian standards for. And uh, you know, our best effort is to uh, follow manufacturer's recommendations, but also look at uh, industry best practice, such as the Australian Battery Guide.
1: And were there any other interesting sessions that you were able to get to?
0: For me, going to a conference is really, uh, I'd never get to see anything because um, people just want to talk to me. I'm supposed to put a, a hood over my head and run through the hall to try <laughs> to get anywhere. Um, but that's really kind of networking is what it's about. So I get to get in touch with um, you know all the interesting th- things people are doing out there. And one of the um, observations is the. Solar has been done so well now. We've, we've become really efficient and really low-cost in it. And, and large-scale systems, I mean, talking 100-kilowatt PV systems going on factories, are just nothing special anymore. People just say, oh, yeah, I did a couple of those last week. you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very impressed by how our industry has uh, you know, risen to the challenge of bringing solar costs down. But they're all kind of looking at the angle for where does energy storage fit in there? What's the market? Yeah. Now, globally, Australia has been identified as the most likely place for energy storage to take off, and hence all the global storage players have come here to launch their products, Uh, even, you know, companies like Tesla launching the Powerwall, et cetera. And uh, it it does cause some confusion um, because people wonder which is the right choice, and so Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of those questions. Glenn, which battery should I use?
2: So coming to that, we've already mentioned twice there is a new battery standard released. So with your Australian standards head-on, can you give us a background on what the the EL42 committee is and what recent standards you've worked on?
0: OK, so it, it's actually not released. It's just uh, in September we started the project uh, oh. for a new uh, battery standard called ASNZS5139. Um, it, it, the predictions at the beginning were probably a couple of years or more before that would be published. Uh, it takes a long time to write a standard from scratch and particularly one that has a lot of stakeholders. But uh, what's happened is that the uh, COAG has thrown some money at because they, they can see that this is a really important issue to get battery safety um, up and running. And so there's a sort of an acceleration of the development of that standard at the moment. You know, you can pick a number, but I'm sure it'll be much less than three years. Uh, but we will still have some time without uh, a, a, an Australian standard. So that's where the Industry Storage Council comes in and we've produced a, a, a best practice guide. We call it the Australian Battery Guide and it's in draft at the moment we're looking for a comment from all the stakeholders and stuff uh, to make sure it addresses all the issues but you know it'll it'll fill the gap before we have an Australian standard.
2: So this is an industry standard before we get the Australian standard is that right?
0: Yes yes I mean the challenge is that the previous battery standards were you know based on um, Telstra battery management for lead-acid batteries, nickel iron and nickel cadmium which um, the last two aren't used anymore uh, for safety reasons, but the lead acid are, and it's a good standard and works well. But the market is moving in many areas. It's not to say that lead acid is over. Lead acid actually has reinvented itself uh, with advanced lead acid and, and carbon lead technologies. But uh, we now have a load of technologies out there that there is uh, no appropriate standard for.
1: And it's changing so rapidly, it must be very hard to just even have the time to create the standards. Yes. Accurate <laughs> that, standards
0: Well, well, I don't know Unless you happen to be on a standards committee You don't, probably don't know how it works It's a voluntary organisation Voluntary um, uh, contributions So, uh, you know, you're really getting people Who are professionals in the area Donating their spare time um, their, their companies may kind of, you know, help that Give yeah. them some spare time at work But it, basically a lot of it is done in the evenings People writing stuff And taking time off work to go to meetings and so it's not exactly an accelerating kind of uh, process where you've got a team working uh, very focused. But then again, it is about diversity of views and stakeholder um, um, contributions. And so, you know, it's a bit of a lumbering elephant, but it gets there in the end.
2: So um, given all this work to do that uh, and the, the long time now, what prompted the Energy Storage Council to release their Australian Battery Guide? Was it just goodwill or was there actually problems they were seeing happen that they needed to address?
0: We wanted to preempt uh, anything bad happening as much as possible by providing good safety information. Uh, we talked to government and we talked to um, energy utilities and, and regulators and they all keep saying, uh, what are we going to do about batteries? Me personally, as a trainer for the Energy Storage Council, um, I'm contacted a lot by... Uh, energy regulators and utilities showing me their horror stories. You know, I found this battery system in the Commas on our network, and you know, it's a bit of a nightmare. How can, what can we do about this? Uh, and so,
2: have there been any serious accidents or fires, Glenn?
0: Um, there has been one um, that I know of that was just localized. The battery itself burnt, um, no damage to the house or, or dwelling, but. Uh, uh, it would appear the the fault was actually installer area. Um, they you know programmed the inverter incorrectly and and cooked the battery basically. I mm. mean these things can happen, but no, we haven't had a um, anything horrible. No one's died to my knowledge, mm. no houses are burnt down. But that's no reason for complacency. So we're kind of on the front foot here and uh, trying to make. Um, or provide good advice to industry before, when they need it, so just in time solutions.
2: And so that's your target audience, the, the installer industry?
0: Actually, no. So um, when we started writing this battery guide, we thought, who's it for? And of course, we straight away thought, oh, it's for installers. But then we thought, well, hang on, there's lots of people involved in this industry. They all need information about uh, batteries. So it's actually partly a guide for um, sales professionals. For consumers, it provides consumer level information um, uh, it provides information for technical people uh, and, and it's smaller it. so it's a it 's a broad ranging document therefore i wouldn 't call it a standard it 's a guide and it covers uh, a wide range of uh, of uh, technologies in fact we we haven 't even gone technology specific we 've talked about risk categories and so we 're focused on you know uh, seven different risk categories um, you know explosion uh, toxic mm-hmm. um, gases uh, um, uh, you know, inert, like completely safe, etc.
2: Yep. So, how does Australia compare with the rest of the world in in these standards?
0: Um, you, you might be surprised to learn that Australia is actually a leading uh, player in terms of uh, our renewable energy standards. Maybe uh, because of our remoteness and smallness and uniqueness of our electrical systems, we can do things more nimbly. Uh, There is an international electrotech commission that uh, produces a lot of the international standards that are picked up as national standards by other countries, but it's the United Nations of Electrical Safety, and so it's extremely slow to get anything to happen, and there's always a lot of argy-bargy, whereas Australia can be nimble and go, actually what we need is a PV array standard, and so we brought it out in 2005, Mm -hmm. and that was the first in the world national PV array standard. The IEC standard uh, is only kind of just coming to f- to, to play now, uh, uh, 10 years later. And it's, what well, you know, based on the Australian PV standard.
1: If you've just joined us today, you're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show, and we're talking to Glenn Morris, who is an expert in solar systems as well as battery storage. Glenn, moving on to battery safety. With the very low solar feed-in tariffs available, most households are now wanting batteries for load shifting, Can you explain how that works?
0: Yeah, so um, the the simple thing about solar energy uh, is it's produced during the day when the sun's shining. The the challenge with that is unless you happen to use energy when the sun's shining, uh, anything produced will have to go somewhere. So if you're a grid-connected installation, that surplus energy will be uh, exported, i.e. leave your premises and go out onto the network. And because, as you pointed out, Kay, the feed-in tariffs have uh, more or less finished everywhere in Australia or winding up at the moment – um uh and there's no new ones so uh most people joining uh you know the the renewable energy push by putting solar on are going to see very little benefit to export energy and so the the mantra now is self-use you want to make sure that you can use your solar energy when the sun's shining actually the cheapest way to do that is not batteries it's actually to have loads that you can schedule Mm. things like timed loads hot water services you know, if you're going to do a load of dishwashing and it's going to be a sunny day, schedule it to come on at midday when you're not at home. Those kind of simple things. But there's only so much you can schedule and how predictable the weather is. What batteries allow you to do is fill in all those gaps. Whenever there is no load to soak up that solar energy, it goes into the battery. And that's kind of shifting. It's load shifting. So what you're doing is taking solar energy, storing it, and then using it out of your batteries uh, predominantly in the evening uh, when
2: the sun's gone down it's what i had referred to as the pot of gold behind the meter because the, yeah. you're effectively getting retail um payment for your electricity when you get to use it yourself rather than the five or six cents that the um the the networks are giving you back yeah i
0: like it
2: mm-hmm. so what risks are associated with um, batteries Glenn? okay so uh
0: you might think batteries are about electricity but the, um, most technologies, almost all technologies currently available for domestic use, are chemical storage. Everything from a simple lead-acid battery is a form of chemical storage of energy that can be converted to electricity. So you really need to look at batteries in terms of uh, in terms of safety from a, a chemical risk hazard. Mm. What can go wrong? Um, can they blow up? Can they spill? Can they vent toxic gases, etc.? And various technologies have various risks or even some have none. Uh, and therefore, it's very important to find out what those hazards are. There is actually a, a federal program for this. It's the safety data sheets are required for all hazardous materials. And it's a it's a compulsory uh, document that's supposed to be provided with all hazardous materials. Um, but surprisingly, few battery manufacturers have cottoned onto this and aren't adequately providing it. They might provide some of the information, but not enough. And I'd suggest anyone um, considering purchasing energy storage would ask, um, you know, do you have a, uh, a compliance safety data sheet for your product? Because I'd like to think about where it's safe to install. For, you know, just for instance, if you're installing uh, an aqueous ion battery, uh, which is a technology that's sort of basically salt water. Uh, you'll find in the SDS, but the only hazard is it could fall on you if it fell over. Um, <laughs> it's just a heavy battery. Everything else about it is benign. Um, yeah. You can literally drink the electrolyte. It's a bit salty, but mm. you can just drink it. There's no gas. There's no uh, explosion hazard. Uh, it doesn't mind being in the sun. So you've got these completely safe technologies, which are what you'd call an inert. But at yeah. the other, other end, you've got some which are highly volatile and have to be controlled very carefully to stay safe. And that's when you start to think, is this suitable for a habitable space? Do I really want this in my bedroom? Um, Maybe not. And then again, you might think, well, actually, I'll just put it in the garage because that's not a habitable space. It it may be a space that could be easily damaged by a vehicle. And so impacting an energy storage system, what are the consequences? Does it catch fire? Does it leak toxic substances or vent poisonous gases?
2: Mm, Okay. Um, Just... uh I loved your point there about stressing that these batteries are chemical devices and, and I think it should be broadened even more that this concept of a battery that we sort of, I think, grow up as, as kids thinking they're those little things that generate electricity. And it's fundamental to where we're going with renewable energies to, to remember that batteries are actually just energy storage mechanisms in all sorts of forms. So pumped hydro... Um, the the chemical storage, including flow batteries, which can extend your battery indefinitely, um, the the salt hot salt tanks in concentrated solar thermal, and so on, um, that really break free from this um, mantra that fossil fuels been pu- uh, pushing that, that uh, renewables can't do baseload, uh, can't do dispatchable. But but I digress. <laughs> um, coming back to your new guide, how do you address the sort of issues that you were talking about, enclosures, installation requirements, signage, and so on, um, does it cover that that full spectrum? Uh,
0: like I said, it is a draft, so we're really um, releasing it pre um, being finished to get as much feedback from stakeholders as possible. But you know, some of the key information in there that's very relevant is signage. Um, if you if you go to uh, an industrial site where there are hazardous chemicals stored, they're required to placard. Um, on the outside of the entrance to that building what the hazard is so in case there is a a fire in the building emergency services and other first responders know what the hazard level is actually that's something that we recommend for battery storage not like scary skull and Mm crossbones signs on your front gate but um, a simple little green sign which looks like the outline of a battery and it has a code inside there a un code united nations code for what the hazard is so international code standard and so Emergency services arriving at a premises see this little battery symbol on the front gate, letterbox, door, whatever, and go, okay, we know what to do. Do we need to use, you know, forced air, breathing apparatus? Uh, Do we use halon extinguishers or do we use water? So they need to be informed before they enter the building uh, or the premises.
1: So it's not just that there is a battery there, but the type of battery that it is.
0: Yeah. Yes, because actually some batteries, if you spray water on them, it's the worst thing you can do. You find a fluoric acid. <laughs> and so, you know, what you think is a safe thing to do is actually the worst thing you
2: can do. So briefly, Glenn, we're um, running out of time for the show. What are the energy storage systems available and being used?
0: Um, <laughs> well, you know, broadly, um, uh, I'd say pumped hydro, not in domestic installations. No, no, sorry, I
2: wasn't referring to that. But, um, in terms of uh, UPSs, are, we go- are people going off-grid? Are they doing hybrid systems? Um, uh, is anyone doing flywheels?
0: Okay, so um, what technologies are out there? I'd, I'd say, uh, predominantly you're looking at chemical storage, such as lead-acid, uh, lithium, uh, aqueous uh, ion. There's some innovative stuff out there, too, like flow batteries. Uh, uh, you know, uh, zinc bromide and similar mm-hmm. um, and uh, molten salt now you, you mentioned uh, you know hot tanks of salt for large scale mm. solar but you actually buy molten salt um, uh, batteries the size of a suitcase I've had some at my training facility um, they're So not the, it's actually practical
2: of, at a small scale sorry to talk over you It, it is
0: oh, wow. it, it, In fact it's a very high tech piece of kit it, I mean, it looks like um, a spy's suitcase with flashing lights on it and inside it in a heavily insulated stainless steel container is salt at 260 degrees celsius
2: but how do you get Um, the energy out because you're not going to assume generate steam and flush it for a turbine or anything it's
0: it's a it's a electrochemical um um, battery so Uh it doesn't generate steam it's not a steam turbine so it works um, like conventional batteries do but uh the safety is very very high i.e you can turn it off let it cool down it's a block of salt Mm. Uh, there is no chemical hazard when it's fully temperature it's probably as dangerous as a, a, cook, a pot of cooking oil but it's in a fully sealed container uh so you know yeah, a very safe technology but it's got its own you know special application so mm-hmm. um, i think molten salt's probably more in the um, sort of mining environments where you need a very very safe battery mm-hmm. um, to transport because of its ability to be stored yes. you can store it indefinitely mm-hmm. and then turn it on and use it yeah. um, but you know that's, a, that's just one example of some of the innovation and in storage that's happening mm-hmm.
1: Glenn, I've got a question, a general question on solar installations. And um, I understand that there's an issue with the DC isolators and the number of different manufacturing devices that have been recalled. I think it's up to six now because of the fact that it's a fire hazard. So they're the the rooftop isolators. So I think there's isolators generally recommended for um, near near the battery storage area and inverter and then also one on the rooftop. Do you know if there's going to be any changes made to legislation with regard to the positioning of those devices?
0: Um, hard to say. There's a, there, it's certainly from the installation community, um, people would love to see them gone. The rooftop isolator's been a bit of a disaster. Uh, you, you know, it might have been thought of as a safety feature, but actually it's a liability for many homes. Uh, you know, they, they tend to fail. and Putting a piece of plastic with wires in it on a roof is about the most harsh environment outside of outer space. Uh, it's thermally cycled twice a day. Um, it's got um, LV, you know, low-voltage in it, uh, that, which, which uh, accelerates corrosion, uh, the contact with moisture, so even just damp air is a problem. Mm. Uh, and so these devices have been rather unreliable, even with proper products. So there's been six recalls as you pointed out, but even the products have, uh, that haven't been recalled, there's still been failures amongst them. Um, partly that could be workmanship, product failure, um, environmental. Okay. really would rather not have.
2: Obviously, Australia is out on a limb there. We're out we, of time, Glenn. Did, yeah. uh-huh. Thank you so much for this. Uh, another fascinating discussion as always with you. Where can listeners find out more information about today's discussions?
0: You can go to the energy storage website, uh, energystorage.org.au, uh, or the Australian Solar Council
1: website, solar.org.au.
2: Thank you again, Glenn.
1: Thanks very much, Glenn. Thanks for your time. It was a very interesting discussion.
2: The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to the bze.org.au website and click on Podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next week. It's not a product. It's a technology.
1: It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a
0: growing... Demand for industrial photovoltaics. Time Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests.
1: All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational.
0: Solar window in a can.
1: Beyond Zero. Global
0: warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.
1: It's 40 years that the station's been around. I hope it's around for the next 40 years. CR has been a trailblazer. It's still the leader and the benchmark in terms of actually engaging the community. Keep the trailblazing.
0: Support 3CR in our 40th birthday radiothon.
1: From June 6th to 19th. To donate, call 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au. The role it plays is really, really, really important and the role it plays in empowering people on a personal level, empowering communities and giving communities the power to actually take a bit of control of their future cannot be underestimated.